Welcome to Out of the Blue, part two, part of SB Nation Podcast Network. The only podcast that lives its life a quarter of a mile at a time and knows you don't need to keep the plot if you keep your family. I am Jared Stormer of maizeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate. Andy, you living representation of the work of Jeffrey Chaucer, you lyrical troubadour. How are you, you beautiful man? I'm well, sir. I'm enjoying being here for the extra pod this week, coming out on Saturday, a little weekend content for everybody, talking superlatives and what we're doing best. A little nonsense as well. I think that we probably excel at nonsense. Out of the Blue was not just uh, a title that had the word blue in it, and we didn't just throw that out there. We are without a doubt the most nonsensical of the Michigan podcasters that I know. You're certainly going to get a format from John Jansen when you go on to that podcast. Yeah, they're a little more directional at times. I like to be directionalist in life and in my ramblings. So, you know, sometimes we just go off on tangents about Ed Wariner's chin. Sometimes we're right here talking about Ron Bellamy's prowess in the late 90s, but we always get there. We always establish the run. We're going to establish the run tonight. We had a million things that we've been wanting to talk about over the last couple weeks, but there's just been too much actual sports to cover. These are what you would call champagne problems to the highest degree, but we were not going to let that stop us from talking about the nonsense that needed to be talked about. And it's not nonsense. We've got superlatives for days. There's so much to cover in this season. I'm actually more looking forward to this. Now, granted, it's because I'm a bottle of wine deep here on podcast number two, but I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, when Vaughn approached us and was talking about second podcast this week for extra content, if we had any ideas, said, oh boy. Dude, Dude, how much time you got? (laughs) If you weren't leaving the country, we'd have one every night this week. That's what I'm saying. Like, I have a whole podcast comparing Kurt Russell's career to Andrew Vastardis's. It's 41 (laughs) minutes long of when I workshopped it. Like, you think I don't got content? Let's go. We once did a podcast talking about the brilliance of the erotic thriller Basic Instinct. You don't think I can go deep on Trevor Keegan? (laughs) I'm ready for everything you need to talk about. Have you seen his calves? I've got, I've got six minutes on that. <laughs> so yeah, we have a lot of time and tonight we thought it'd be best to give out superlatives and there's some basic ones in there, but there's also ones you and I have discussed offline ad nauseum and really want to get our thoughts out here on the podcast. For sure, man. And uh, one thing that we have neglected with Michigan going on, Michigan football going on the Big Ten championship run is Michigan basketball, which currently sits at six and three. As we're recording this, they just defeated the Nebraska Cornhuskers. 102 to 67, putting up 50 in the first half and then another 52 in the second, by far their best offensive output. And this is coming after a really, really disappointing loss to North Carolina, where there were a lot of questions about the team. What have you seen from this team early on and in this game against Nebraska? What's your level of concern for the team and uh, versus your level of optimism, we'll say? Concerns are soft, too. Very optimistic, still trust Juwan Howard and everything. It's just chemistry issues. You're feeling a lot of shoes left empty from last year, just from Isaiah Livers to Franz Wagner to Mike Smith to Shonday Brown to Austin Davis. So there was going to take time for this unit to gel with all the moving pieces, trying to figure out who goes where, how the playing time is. This is the win the program needed, though, to show that they can get their footing and come out here in the first conference game and get the job done emphatically. I mean, a beating like this is normally only found in the Old Testament. So they wanted to really make a statement after the North Carolina game and a statement they did make. 
Yeah, I'm deep in the book of Revelations, just kind of crossing things off as I'm watching this one. But look, this it was, was in Nebraska. the seventh seal here. Yeah, I was just like, oh, well, it appears to be a locust now here in the third quarter. Uh, but, I mean, this was a beatdown. Granted, Nebraska is not the opponent that North Carolina was in our last loss. And against the better teams, we have looked to struggle. And Seton Hall was, uh, you know, kind of telling of that early on that we probably have more talent than Seton Hall. In fact, I know we have more talent than Seton Hall. But you're also going to need to figure out how this all works together, like you just alluded to. And they haven't figured that out yet. I'll put my concern at a at a three. I think soft two, um, you know, because you're just you're just living your best life right now. You don't even care that much. Well, that's why your concern is so low. But my concern for basketball <laughs> is probably at a three or a four, even after this great win. And that's mostly because while you and I were really high on Devontae Jones, I don't like what they have as far as creators, guys that can get their own shots and three-point shooting to really spread things out for Hunter Dickinson. Granted, in this game, they shot the ball incredibly well. You got great contributions from Terry Two Sticks, Brandon Johns, and Caleb Houston. But in games where those shots aren't falling, I I get a little bit concerned about what this team can do, especially in a reloaded Big Ten. The one thing I really liked about this game, especially moving forward, was Michigan's rebounding numbers. I don't have it right here, but I believe they out-rebounded like 54-39. to And if they're attacking the glass like that, they're getting second-chance points and eliminating them for the opponent. So that would be that was massive against North Carolina where they were eating us up in the paint. And I just have so much faith in Juwan Howard for riding the ship and getting everything going in the right direction. There's just too much talent on this team to be that bad. Granted, the issues that you mentioned are, are real, especially the three-point shooting and creating. But I think those will be fixed as freshmen get integrated further into the system. Rebounding numbers were 39-24 to 24 in this one. Definitely controlled yeah. the boards. Um, and the three-point shooting greatly improved in this one as well. I do think that uh, the Devontae Jones piece is probably what I'm watching the most because we thought he was a huge upgrade over the Mike Smiths and the Xavier Simpsons of the world because he had some height. Um, but he has been inefficient. He uh, His fouling has been inopportune. His shot creation, getting his own shot, has been non-existent. And we're going to need more than that from Devontae Jones. So he right now is the biggest X factor for what this team could be. But I'm still high on him with you. I mean, that all, I'm saying all that to say that I still think young team, tons of talent, Jawan Howard I trust all those things that you just mentioned. Um, but the Devontae Jones piece has got to get figured out. If not, it's going to be Frankie Collins here starting soon. And a lot of Michigan fans are already kind of clamoring for that. Devil's avocado, Jared. <laughs> so <laughs> Devon, you, you very eloquently described all of Devontae Jones' in, like, <laughs> deficiencies. But let's just put it this way. It's kind of sucked. Like, it's just not been great. Like, <laughs> yep. so, color man in sports for nothing, folks it's been a very it's been a struggle when I alluded to freshmen stepping up I especially mean at that position Devontae Jones has not been as advertised I can't believe he was Sunbelt player of the year last year and I'm hoping for like a maybe reverse jinx here where we did it with Harbaugh and I can do it with Devontae Jones as well now I love it yeah just keep riding that energy and uh, let's use that energy to switch over to football that's plenty on basketball I mean we're six and three the season is early Um, Purdue looks really really good So the Big Ten is going to be a fight this year. Plenty of time to talk about basketball. Let's spend the rest of this podcast on football, shall we? Let's do it.
lettuce. All right, so we put together some superlatives, a lot of questions that we've wanted to ask to one another throughout the season. Literally, I'm finding myself having to hold back because I want to ask you. And some of these we might revisit when we do our end of the season awards, but we wanted to talk about them now because it's it's getting to be a lot of the... Um, the, the paralysis of content is what I'll call it, is that there's so much going on. You and I were mentioning it's hard to even take it in that we're Big Ten champions, right? Like at this moment, because, you, you know, we've got podcasts to do. You've got things to write. I'm moving throughout the country. Like everyone's kind of getting bombarded. Oh, my God, we just beat Ohio State. We've got a game one week later. So we wanted to kind of go back and touch on some of these things that we haven't touched on up to this point. So uh, the Superlatives podcast, I know you were up for it. Yeah, we're here on the fringes doing God's work is what we're doing. Like everyone else is diving into certain things right now and it's all kind of chalk. So we thought we'd just kind of swerve left before National Signing Day and everything else picks up next week and give you the weekend content to enjoy. This isn't serious. This is a breath of fresh air and a chance to be a little bit nostalgic. Yeah, take a deep breath, sit back, ideally have a beverage. Um, I'm drinking wine. I know this is a pro-beer podcast. We're always pro-beer, but look, I've got to fit into a shirt on New Year's Eve. It's just what it is. So I won't be wearing a shirt on New Year's Eve, so problems problems avoided. I will have sunglasses on, though. Yeah, well, you also wake up at 5 in the morning to go for like 30-mile runs, so you're a cyborg. Different strokes when you huff paint. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Your first superlative, my friend. I'm coming out throwing heat. Rank these three factors, in your opinion, this is just in your opinion, for the importance of Michigan's success on the football field this year. Is it the coaching changes that were made? Obviously, that's Mike McDonald. You could even throw Gaddis into there um, because that's a two-year deal, but primarily the coaches this year. Is it the players? And I want to put an emphasis on the seniors. In fact, we'll we'll go even more specific. Is it Hutch, Haskins, Josh Ross, Best Artists? Or is it the culture changes that have been made? Is it uh, Jim Harbaugh deflecting to the players? Is it the, uh, the letting them choose their own uniforms? Is it the music in the sta- stadium? So those are the three factors. I want you to rank those in, in importance for the success this year. This is really difficult because these are not mutually exclusive and they fall into each other a little bit. This is, you didn't ask me an easy one in there. You didn't no. throw in like Brad Hawkins still existing. It's borderline um, impossible. Borderline impossible. I'm going to do what Jim Harbaugh did and I'm going to deflect to the players first. I think this is impossible without the right people in there. Try to change the culture all you want. If you don't have the players embracing it, it's never going to happen. So this is Aiden Hutchinson, Hassan Haskins, Vastardis, Josh Ross, Cade McNamara, all of them buying in the freshman McCarthy. So I would start there, then I would go culture changes, and then I would go coaches last. Interesting. I would see it a little bit differently. I would go coaching changes second. And as you said, these all are going to bleed into each other. You don't get the culture you have without Aiden Hutchinson being the guy that gets off a plane and says, we're going to the weight room now. And the whole team shows up. You don't have one without the other. You're right. This was a loaded question, but I would put the coaching changes up above that because of how drastic they have been and how drastic the improvement has been. Um, I just, I can't believe that Andrew Vestardis, as much as we love him, would have gotten this offensive line and running backs to produce where they were without Sharon Moore and, and Mike Hart, you know? No, and so so things like that tend me 
tend to push me more towards coaches being two. I absolutely agree with you with players one, and then I'll go coaches two, and I'll go culture three. All right. Well, that leads me into another question for you. Kind of jumping around here on our dock. Most important coaching move. That's All a right. great – yeah, hit me. Sharon Moore to co-OC and O-line. Mike McDonald is DC. Mike Hart is running back. Steve Klinkscale and Ron Bellamy taking over the secondary. Jay Harbaugh to special teams. Not firing Jim Harbaugh. Wow. Number one is not firing Jim Harbaugh. That has to be it. That has to be it because you don't have any of the others without him. So removing him from that, which I think we should do for this discussion, because that's a pretty obvious number one. Um, it's difficult. Once again, these are all going to be <laughs> difficult. All these superlatives this year and a year this good are going to be extremely tough. Um, I'll go with Mike McDonald, though. Um, and it was, I mean, that is really, you're, you're pulling teeth for me to get to say that because of how great Sharon Moore, Mike Hart, Steve Klinkscale, all the guys you just mentioned have been. Jay Harbaugh, like, let him not be forgotten for how good that special teams has been. Um, but Mike McDonald has absolutely changed the course of the season because we saw what was happening in November. And we saw the last time Don Brown, the last two times Don Brown got to see Ohio State. The last times we've seen Don Brown on the field, and this isn't an anti-Don Brown thing, um, but there was enough people saying, we know what to expect with the Don Brown defense, that it was pretty clear we weren't going to get past Ohio State with that man-to-man coverage with how we've recruited and, and everything there. So he came in and made a multiple defense, and he turned Vincent Gray, DJ Turner, Josh Ross. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo were probably going to be who they were going to be no matter what. But he's put a ton of guys in the NFL, and he's made the most improved defense in the nation. So if you have the most improved unit in the country, I, I think you're going to get my nod. I'm with you there, and I liked every answer you laid out. It's it's perfect. What Mike? If we don't have Mike McDonald, we don't beat Ohio State. That's just full stop. The way he has orchestrated game plans, the way the team has gotten better throughout the season, how difficult his defense is to figure out. There's a lot of deception. There's it empowers the players a lot more on the field, very NFL style. The way he adjusted the substitution problems against Michigan State to clean them up towards the end of the year has just been brilliant. And I'll go into the next one for you. I think the next coach on that list is Sharon Moore as co-OC and the offensive line because of what the offensive line has done all year with pounding the ball and especially what they did against Ohio State. You're, you're probably right there. I mean, Mike Hart has been awesome, but when we came into this season, we did a couple podcasts ranking our confidence in, in units, and we had the running back unit as maybe the highest confidence. Yeah. And that was before they hired Mike Hart. We felt pretty good about that unit coming in. Now, they've been exceptional. They still haven't fumbled the ball amongst three starters, and we're talking over 400 carries. Edwards has one. Oh, excuse me. Edwards has one. How dare the, the freshman? How dare he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you got one fumble and 400 carries. You've got yeah. the most productive running back room we've had in decades, decades now, going back like 40 years with, uh, with and still counting because our season isn't over. So you're absolutely right. And Sharon Moore, should Gaddis get poached away, is your next OC. Uh, so yeah, yeah I, I agree with that, with that, um, that caveat there. Um, the only other one that I would consider would be maybe Klinkscale because of the improvement of the defensive backs, but then that falls under the umbrella 
of McDonald there. So it's kind of hard to separate. Yeah, I'm with you. And Clink Scale, the only reason it rules it out for me is he wasn't even first choice. It was Mo Linguist who got poached away to Buffalo to be head coach. And then Clink Scale come in and he just had a massive effect on them on and off the field. And you look at the recruiting right now where everything's oh. trending for the secondary. Oh, Yo. boy, that's all he and Ron Bellamy. Yo, so we did not get Domani Jackson, but it looks like things are going to be just fine. And we're still going to have the best haul in the secondary that we've had in a long, long time. It'll be right up there with that David Long, Lavert Hill. I believe Klee Hudson was in that one. Or maybe so. it was Peppers in that one. We've had some really good ones. I think it was Peppers... Hill Long, regardless, this will be right up there when we land Will Johnson, Zeke Berry, Keon Sapp, Miles Pollard. There's some dudes coming in in the secondary. So Clink Scale um, has earned that co-DC tag that he's going to get after this season, and he's a super important cog moving forward. Yeah, and this, and lastly on our list, who you and I have stand for all season, is Jay Harbaugh. Jay Harbaugh has been incredible this year, mixing in stuff, blocking punts, throwbacks on kick returns, just little subtle things like that to really make the difference in swing games. And Jay Harbaugh is going to be a head coach someday. I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, the ideal scenario would be, you know, Sharon, we get Gaddis back. Everyone comes back next year. You run it back with the whole squad. And then, you know, we're going to lose some guys. That's going to happen. Sharon Moore gets bumped up to OC. Jay Harbaugh, co-OC. Because I would love to see the Harbaugh, Harbaugh, head coach, OC. Because it's trending that way. Jay Harbaugh, this is not nepotism. That dude can coach. Yeah, he earned this. And at first, it might have felt like that. But he's just progressed throughout the program. And again, look no further than the special teams this year. On all aspects of it. I believe we have the best kick return coverage in the country as well. So just a tremendously coached, tremendous unit. He's done an incredible job. Turned Cornelius Johnson into a punt-blocking specialist. Like, just been fantastic. I'm so happy for him. What a way to identify your gunner, too. Like, they find a gunner every single year. It was Kalik Hudson there for a long time. It didn't look like we had one this year. They go bring CJ in from the offense to be the gunner on these punt-block attempts, and he's got two of them now. And he's just been a guy that, especially over the last three weeks, um, I know I'm kind of changing topics here, but CJ, little flowers for CJ here, especially in the last three weeks. Yeah, absolutely, because you and I have been very critical of Cornelius Johnson at times this year. He's either very hot, very cold. Like, there's really no gray area with CJ in games. He's either spectacular with long touchdown receptions. He is the leading receiver on this team, punt blocks, or it's just like two consecutive drops on a series in a backbreaking moment. Like, there's no in-between. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a weird year for him, but we should probably bring him back next year. And, oh, man, I'm, I'm already excited for the offseason pods talking about this roster, which is going to be good again next year. But let's take a quick break. We've got a million more superlatives, all Michigan football content in the second half of this one, some ones that I'm really excited for. Take a quick break. We'll be back right after this with much more content. Welcome back to Out of the Blue, the Superlatives podcast, the extra podcast, the one they said wouldn't happen because we shouldn't be recording this deep. It's December, and yet here we are still talking about football. So, of course, we're doing a twofer. It pleases me to see you again, my friend. It is good to be here, man. And checking the clock, still Big Ten champions. 
And if loyal listeners remember, we actually have a lost podcast from 17 or 18, I believe, recorded for two hours. Some of the best content that have ever hit the airwaves has been been rumored. And it was lost, lost somewhere in the abyss. So here we are back giving the people, filling a void, mm-hmm. giving this the podcast they want. Yeah, Gene Siskel actually reviewed that podcast and said that no finer human words had ever ever been constructed into sentences. And unfortunately, that one did not air. So we're going to do our best to uh, muddle our way through this one. But man, it's it's good that we have this opportunity. It's it's delightful to me. And I have to know to you, you're still wearing your sunglasses indoors, despite the fact that it's 1030 at night in West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, the energy never... I sleep in these. I, I, <laughs> I, I went to yoga with my girlfriend. I still had these on, and somebody asked me to take them off, and I just glared into their soul with, no. Yeah, <laughs> they would have never known because of the reflective capabilities of those glasses, but I, I have to believe that your glare would normally melt a man, so I don't want to be on the other side of that. That being said... We were just discussing, it's time for some out of the blue merchandise, which will be coming here in the next, I don't know, it'll be coming this off season. So your glasses, the the fact that we're Big Ten champions, it's time. We've been doing this for five years. We're going to have some merchandise coming. Yes, please stay tuned for that. Can't wait to get all this stuff out to you. We've been discussing it now for a few months and got some cool designs coming. Some, you know, out of the blueisms for the loyal listeners and fans. And man, it's just, it's just fun. It's just good to get good people together, spread these things out there. And I can't wait. A good way to cap off a great year. The ambassador of joy, Andrew Bailey. You ready for some more su- superlatives coming your way? Let's dive in. I'm absolutely throwing heat the second half of this thing. All right. Uh, oh, we, you had this doc drawn up. All right, here it goes. This is the absolute right next question to ask we were talking about coaching there in that first half and i want to finish off with one coaching superlative the success tax as you dubbed it last week which is brilliant it should be called that thus forth there's going to be some some attrition from this coaching staff Um, there's going to be some attrition from some guys transferring probably not as bad as years past after you win a big 10 championship But with the coaching attrition, rank these coaches for importance of keeping this year. We're staying on the offensive side. Josh Gaddis, Sharon Moore, Mike Hart. Who is most important that we keep on this staff? That's the order right there. Don't need to change it. You start with the Broyles Award winner this season. Sharon Moore, that offensive line. Mike Hart at running backs. I don't think you mess with that at all. With that at all, as you discussed before the break, running back is a very talented room, but they can't do much without the offensive line. What Sharon Moore has done there is invaluable. Also a co-OC, but it starts with Josh Gaddis. He's the top assist in the country for a reason. It has been recognized thusly. So I think that's the way you rank them. You want to keep all three, but Gaddis one, more two, Mike Hart three. That is the correct order. Maybe I should have uh, switched it up to try and throw you off the scent. I don't think that would have worked. Uh, You look like Dog the Bounty Hunter when he was 19 years old in those sunglasses. So you would have got to the bottom. Best thing you've ever said to me. (laughs) You would have got to the bottom of that one. I think it's the same. But I ranked it thusly, as you said. Uh, because if you should lose Josh Gaddis this season, you have Sharon Moore already set up to be your next offensive coordinator. He was co-OC this year. We don't know what role he played in calling plays this year. We don't know what role Jim Harbaugh played in calling plays this year. 
So while Josh Gaddis gets a ton of credit, and he should, um, there was two other guys that were definitely involved in the play calling and the offense in general this year. So should we lose Josh Gaddis, I think we should still feel pretty good about the Sharon Moore-Jim Harbaugh connection. So um, I, while I agree with your order there, I think Sharon Moore is definitely next up. And uh, you might end up losing Mike Hart because there's just not the promotion there for him. But how would you feel about Josh Gaddis goes, promote Sharon Moore, and then promote Mike Hart to where Sharon Moore was this season? not going to be mad about it. The Michigan man moving him, moving on up is great. I'm worried about Sharon Moore possibly getting lured back to Oklahoma. His alma mater with Brent Venables taking over the staff now. That is a concern of mine. But say Gaddis leaves, Moore moves up. Absolutely move Mike Hart up. He's more than earned it. He's had a great influence, not just in the running back room, but with on the program as a whole. He's a Michigan man. I think he wants to be there, but he's also not going to turn down chances to move up in the coaching ranks. So if you have a chance to move him up, you do it at Michigan. Yeah, I've heard Oklahoma is also targeting Joe Brady from Carolina, who was recently let go. So he's in need of a job. I think they're after some bigger fish there. And I think that our guys are in a good spot that like we're getting some notice, but the job offers that are coming are like Colorado State came in for um, Josh Gaddis. That's not necessarily like a that's not a life changing job there. And it's very easy to go to Colorado State and have a tough season. So there could be some power five jobs available for these guys if they come back and repeat it next year, provided they get the compensation that they need to come back for one more year. Yeah, you waited out for the big jobs. If I'm them, you don't jump ship to a small one right now. You're a Broyles award winner now, Josh Gaddis, so you can dictate things a little bit more. You don't have to worry about Tulsa coming to call you. No, I would probably sit on the Tulsa job at this point. And, uh, you know, who knows? If Lane Kiffin goes somewhere next year, like Josh Gaddis to Ole Miss or something like that. I mean, I'm just throwing out random names at this point, obviously, but... If he has another great season and he's right in there for Broyles award winner, that's the kind of jobs that are going to come calling with two years of doing it versus one year. So um, obviously we're biased. We want to see them all back, but I, I tend to agree with you on that one. All right. You ready for another superlative? Let's do this, it. This is a big one. Now we're going to do this later. We're going to do some off season awards. So this is just an off the cuff one at this point in the season who improved their stock the most. I've got some candidates for you. Oh, God. Eric All, <laughs> Andrew Vestardis, Vincent Gray, Mozzie Smith, David Ojabo, Rod Moore, DJ Turner. This is impossible. Like this. <laughs> it's, it's a tough, tough one. And this, hey, look, this isn't even the final one. These aren't the awards yet. We'll do those no, at and the very end of the season. And there's no wrong answer. Honestly, there isn't. Like there are, maybe if you just said Rod Moore, I might have some qualms about that. Because he came from nothing. So there was nothing to compare it to. Yeah. Correct. I think one of the biggest ones for me, for me, it's really tough to decide between Vincent Gray and Eric All. Mm. I'm going to go with Eric All personally, just because of just, dropping everything last season and the year before that he'd always been a decent blocker but this year I felt like there was an emphasis put on his blocking and then the 10 catch performance against Penn State with the game winner the one-handed reception against Iowa in the Big Ten championship game just from where he was and what fans 
pundits, everybody thought about him. Oh, he's got a high ceiling. We've heard that before. We had Luigi Villain there. Like, we know what a high ceiling and not producing looks like. It felt like that with Eric on. He just completely changed the narrative. Tremendous points. And we did the uh, preseason awards for, um, you called it the John Runyon Award for Revolving Door of Awfulness. Guys that looked like they were going to be an absolute mess but end up being really good players for us. And we put Eric all and Vincent gray as the easy choices. We nailed that. We nailed that from guys that really were not producing last year to produce at a high level this year. There's one other name that I think should be mentioned in that discussion though. And that's uh, Andrew Vestardis who came back for that, uh, that coveted six year that we all look for. And we look for that six year jump, which we, we joke about it a little bit, but it's unheard of to have a six-year jump. You just don't see it for a guy to come back. And you saw Cade McNamara get emotional after the Penn State game, specifically about Andrew Vastardis and what he means to this team. So it's one of those three guys. And Andrew Vastardis was not as awful as those two were last year. But also Andrew Vastardis has been what we thought at best a backup center. And he came second Big Ten. All uh, He was second team all Big Ten behind Tyler Lindebaum, who is the he's going to be the All-American at center right there. So basically, you could make a case for Vastardis as second best center in the nation. So that can't be ignored. And neither can Eric all dropping what I count as one pass. And it was the interception against Iowa that was thrown behind him. Eric all was tremendous. And Vincent Gray. Uh, we had the Sklar brothers on, and I agreed with everything they said except the one point that he'll be an undrafted. I believe that Vincent Gray will be drafted because he's shown enough this year. Yeah, he's 6'3". His coverage skills have greatly improved. He's understanding the game. He's a sure tackler. All three of those are great points, and we were panicked in the offseason when Zach Carpenter transferred to Indiana. We thought he was going to be the center, or there maybe then Zach Zinter was going to be the center. And we kept counting out uh, Nasty Vasty, and he's just been dominant inside. And the way he's led this room, no matter who's playing guard next to him, whether it was Atterbury, Barnhart, Filiaga, Keegan, Zenter, like there's just been, they've been rock steady on the interior, and that's largely due to him. So it's got to be one of those three, and we'll hash this out a little bit further in the offseason. But other guys on our list, Mozzie Smith, the jump he made, and Chris Hinton, Hinton both. on the inside. Hinton, Smith and Hinton should be mentioned together, I think. Yeah, and David Ojabo coming from playing like 26 snaps or something, most ever in a season before now, and he has 11 sacks on the year. He's one sack off the former program record. It's crazy that we're saying most improved, and he didn't make our top four with what you just said. That really goes to show how insane this team is. Yeah, DJ Turner becoming uh, a CB1. A after legit Ju- cornerback number one. Legitimate. Yeah, legitimate cornerback number one. So that's been one of the biggest things. This kind of goes back to your point earlier about the importance of the coaching here. So the players bought in and culture changed. But we got some real coaches in there to coach them up on technique, film study, everything. And that shows, I mean, especially in DJ Turner and also Ben Herbert. This team is incredibly healthy and strong throughout the season. A guy we haven't talked enough about, but uh, lose Ronnie Bell. Everyone else is healthy. (laughs) It's just an unbelievable number, and the fact that he can do that with these guys is incredible. 
Great shout out to Herbert. Great shout out to the overall health of this team. We lost Ronnie Bell and we thought it was going to be that kind of season. It was not that kind of season and they absorbed that loss. So great shout out there. Uh, before we move on into the superlatives, got to talk about home field apparel. Been working with them now for over a year. It has been a good omen. They're from Indy. They sent us to Indy. I'm convinced of it. Reward yourself this Big Ten championship season with some home field apparel. Reward your loved ones with some home field apparel. Hopefully you are wed to a spouse that appreciates that wearing Michigan apparel is good for the soul. And you can get 20% off your first purchase with MNB at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. All right, brother. Uh, your turn. Throw me a superlative. I'm I'm ready. I've been I've been hitting you with some tough ones here. All right. Which player was most important to this team having success? All right. Few offensive, few defensive. Andrew Vastardis, as we just touched on, ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Hassan Haskins. Let's remove Haskins and Hutchinson from the debate, can we? That's that's fair. Yeah. If we can remove them, this is a better question. Stricken from the record. Stricken from the record. Josh Ross. DJ okay. Turner. Oh, okay. Vincent Gray. Mm. And I'll leave it right there. Obviously, the, the order that it's ranked in makes a lot of sense. I would move Gray up to two behind Vastardis. It's hard for me to go against Vastardis um, when... John Madden texts you after the Ohio State game saying that's the best offensive line performance he's ever seen, and Vastardis is leading the charge. So that's not something that I think Jim Harbaugh will ever forget. That's not something Sharon Moore will will ever forget. I don't think that's anything we should ever forget. So it's probably going to go to Vastardis, but Gray, to me, his progression this year, uh, it's unsung. We haven't talked about it enough, and you know now we're doing that. So kudos to us but let's let's make sure we don't stop here because vincent gray's progression this year have you noticed the game where he really got beat and got smoked or he was a liability i can't remember really any player on this team just getting flat out smoked on it maybe unfairly it sucks it was dax hill late against or late in the first half against wisconsin <laughs> and we saw how he responded so. yeah oh man he got he got angry great callback and we'll talk about the call <laughs> i'm gonna add that to the callbacks one later um so you're right yeah just nobody's really getting smoked on this team especially for deep plays and that's one of the staples of the mcdonald defense but gray especially cleaned up his technique like there weren't before, like last season, you could anticipate at least one holder P.I. on Benson Gray every game. Like you just knew it was coming. And this year he's been physical. He's been aggressive, but he's also been clean. And I think that just shows the maturity and growth in his game. We haven't pulled the numbers yet. We're going to pull the numbers in the offseason off just like I test. Who had the better season? David Long, 2018. Vincent Gray, 2021. Man, that is... It's a tough question, right? Because David Long was really highly touted for his coverage skills in 2018. And you and I, like, we were on board, but we were also like, eh, because we did not face any prolific passing offenses. And then when we did, we got shredded. So Vincent Gray gave up 100 yards passing, but he gave it up to Olave, Garrett Wilson, and, and Jigba in a winning effort. So it's... It's tough. It's tough when you look at those two seasons. They're very comparable. It is, but I value I value winning in a lot of arguments, and he went against higher passing offenses, 
especially on the road in most of them. And then Ohio State at home in a huge moment against the best passing offense maybe in five years. So maybe sort of not five years since LSU in 19. So, come so on. That, no. if you're admitting that, and you and I kind of have a running list here. That's going to put Vincent's Grace, Vincent Gray's season this year in like the top eight of all-time cornerback seasons that we've witnessed, maybe top five. Like, And yeah. it just hasn't been talked about because, I mean, Turner was outstanding, but you only get half a season. You can't rank that higher than Vincent Gray doing 12 games. 13 yeah. games. That's, that's a great point, man. I think we really need to hammer this home even further just – yeah, the jump from last year to this year is unheard of. The consistency throughout the season, even against Michigan State, he was great in that game. He mm-hmm. was fantastic. He wasn't the one giving up those shots, and it was mostly on the run defense. So they've really taken out so many weapons this year. The work they did on Jahan Dotson in Penn State. Like, yeah, you're right. You were dead on about Vince. This has been a great season for him, and it's just like subtly going under the radar. It's It's been very under the radar, and um, I'm excited to go back and rewatch his tape specifically because I love watching cornerback play. That's my favorite thing to watch, um, unless you have an Aiden Hutchinson that's just doing stupid things on the defensive line. So I'm, I'm excited to go back and rewatch that and kind of compare that to David Long's season because right now I'm trending towards what you just said. Uh, I, I value winning. And I value the fact that in the biggest games, Vincent Gray showed up. So maybe that's Klingscale, maybe that's McDonald, maybe that's Vincent Gray, regardless. Outstanding season for Vincent Gray. Couldn't agree more, man. And now speaking about some of the moments we just touched on there, let's transition to our next superlative. And I want to run through these and I want to discuss them one by one. I mean, I know we got a little bit of a time limit, but come on, this is this is Not why really. we do Not this. Really. <laughs> not tonight. I'm not wearing sunglasses for nothing. All right. Moments that kind of went under the radar. Moments that you look back on and you tend to forget. And it's like you think about big ones, and we'll get to those in a moment. But subtle ones. Like we, this has been an enjoyable ride. It's a 12-win season right now. Mm-hmm. So let's start off the top. Hit Game me. one. J.J. McCarthy rolls out avoiding a sack. And what does he do? What all dumb freshmen do? He throws it across the field, almost 60 yards to a streaking Dalen Baldwin for a touchdown. Insane What are your play. thoughts? Uh, insane play. Probably shouldn't have made the throw. Um, really started to build confidence in the freshman. That started the hype. And uh, maybe brought some too much early season hype because Cade settled that down later and people were remembering that play. I think so too. It's so crazy to think that was this season. It feels so long know, ago. Years ago. But when, when he made that throw over a team that would go on to beat Kenny Pickett and Pitt, by the way, yep, it was just a tremendous moment in showing like, oh, this team is might be really good because if we're that deep making exciting plays like that, there's a lot of juice in the program looking back. Yep, absolutely. Next play hit me. Moving on down the list. Andrell Anthony. The touch, the 93-yard touchdown against Michigan State. So we're just coming off the pick from R.J. Moten. We take over. Andrew Anthony, a true freshman from East Lansing, makes his first career catch, takes it 93 yards on a slant, ends up finishing the day with, I believe, 154, eight catches and two tutties. 
the emergence. He's wearing number one. He's got the dreads coming out the back of the helmet. Up until that point, I for some reason thought he was 5'10". Uh, you and I texted after that. We're like, I'm sorry, Andrew Anthony's 6'1", and he's that fast? Um, it was it was kind of like realizing you have a Braylon Edwards on your team. Like, Andrew Anthony, as good as we love, and as much as we love Roman Wilson, A.J. Henning, like, Andrew Anthony has a higher ceiling than all of them. So, yeah, it was the emergence of what could be a freak player. And the best thing was is he read the coverage wrong, and Cade still dropped it in a dime in between the coverage, and he just takes it to the house. Like, Took it to the house. Yeah, Andrew Anthony, you and I are about as high on as we could be on a player. He's going to be, I mean, he wears the number one. The next Braylon Edwards seems too easy. Um, next moment, went under the radar. Shouldn't go under the radar. Brad Hawkins against Nebraska. Late in this game, we are down. And they are, or excuse me, it is tied. They are driving to take the lead. Adrian Martinez has the ball, gets a first down. Brad Hawkins comes up. The play could have been whistled dead. It was not. Strip, sack, fumble, Michigan recovers, Jake Moody seals it. This one should be spoken about many, many times when we talk about the lore of this season. It could have all gone south there. As Nebraska is the best 3-9 and nine team in history, and I don't mean that hyperbolic, they statistically they are. are. <laughs> and they almost ended a lot of people's seasons this year, including Michigan's. And this one was coming down to the wire the first time Michigan trailed all year. Our hope seemed lost, although we'd counterpunched a little bit. And then improbably, Brad Hawkins strips the ball here. And we turn it and bring it back and set up the game-winning, what would be the game-winning field goal. I remember calling you. My TV was a little bit ahead of yours. And you're like, I know something either very good or very bad happened. And I'm like, I just want to hear your reaction. <laughs> yeah, you texted me. And like, sometimes I'll know something's coming because you just text me like, Jared. And I'll be like, oh, my God, something's about to happen. And I'm 15 seconds behind you. So it can be a nightmare, but in that case, it was uh, it was a season-saving play. If we lose to Nebraska, what is this season? You know, so it let it let that play by Brad Hawkins never be forgotten. Uh, next one for you, DJ Turner three tips it to himself. First career interception versus Northwestern. Not necessarily a game-changing or season-defining play, but it brought DJ Turner into cornerback number one discussion, and he's going to be one of the. I don't know, three most important players on next year's defense. Yeah, and this was his first career start. So it's like, oh, DJ Turner's out there now because Green was a little banged up, and he made the most of it and never looked back. He had this one, and then you go further, you see the Maryland pick six. He got a house one. But the three-tip was so pretty because of how he just played it to himself. It just demonstrated ball skills, eyes, everything you want from a corner. And it was a dream come true for especially you, who loves cornerback play more than anyone. God, freaking love cornerback play. Uh, <laughs> next year, if DJ Turner is cornerback number one, are offensive coordinators right out of the gate going to scheme against him from what they've seen on tape this year? Has he been Absol that good? Absolutely, because I think he also progresses in the offseason and just gets even better. I think so as well. Next one, moving down the list, David Ojabo, strip sack fumble. Junior Colson recovers. This is against Rutgers late in this game, 20-13. to 13. Rutgers is driving, chance to tie this. This was an ugly one, ugliest win of the season against Rutgers. So it's easily forgotten. David Ojabo, this was where he really brought his name to the forefront. Talk about this play. 
second least favorite game of the season behind the obvious. Yep. And just a miserable second half. The offense couldn't move the ball. Lots of punts, missed field goals. Uh, Money Moody had one of his few misses in this game. Rutgers had all the momentum and were just causing us problems as we were trying to sleepwalk into the Wisconsin game. And the defense had to bail us out. So they came up with a turnover on downs and then this massive strip sack that was just relief because Harbaugh has done a good job for the most part in non-COVID seasons of avoiding the bad upset. And this one was right on the nose. I mean, we were right at the edge of blowing this right up at the gate before even going to Madison. So just the relief that David Ojabo provided in what would become his coming out party and set up for the rest of the season, we didn't know it yet, is fun to look back on. Uh, I will summarize my thoughts about this uh, to quote the great Gus Johnson. Ojabo! David Ojabo! This kid is unreal, folks! (laughs) I combined quotes, but you get the picture. Say less. Next superlative moment that went under the radar, the Maryland game, and more specifically, the kick return. Michael Barrett fields the pooch kick, throws it across field to the fastest player. Yeah, I said it. Fastest player on Michigan, A.J. Henning, and he houses it. What are your thoughts? Uh, My thoughts are that Donovan Edwards would like to have some words with A.J. Henning there, but this was incredible. It was the most exciting play of the game that we said was the most fun game to watch up to that point. This game was incredibly fun to watch. Um, It starts to show this is really the start of the Broyles campaign. For I know this is a Jay Harbaugh play, but this is the start of the Broyles campaign for Josh Gaddis because our offense all of a sudden over the last three weeks becomes completely unpredictable. It starts with this play, and you just don't know how we're going to attack you, starting with this against Maryland. And how could you not to start to have the creeping belief after a play like that? So um, up to the point, the most exciting play of the season. Yeah, and it capped off. It was the beginning, I believe, right in the middle of a 28-point third quarter, which was the most explosive all season. Uh, Keeping it rolling. Let's go back to Nebraska really quick. This is an easy one, and I picked this play specifically because of it was a hurdle that involved 30 more yards afterwards. Didn't even break stride. That is the man himself, Hassan Haskins. This hurdle, he breaks a run down the middle. The call is break with, he hurdles a man, and he's still going. Just announcers losing their mind as Haskins carries the offense down the field, literally on his back and under his legs. Was this your favorite hurdle of the season? (sighs) Favorite hurdle of the season goes to the Ohio State one because of the moment. This one uh, was way more explosive and is cooler to watch upon replay. But yeah, favorite hurdle of the season goes to Ohio State. We're going to leave the Ohio State and Iowa moments off of this. Um, we're just going with the the other parts of the season. But yeah, that was among my favorite non-Ohio State-Iowa moments in that Nebraska game. And Hassan Haskins, man, his name, so long as humans still have a voice, will be remembered. Even if they lose their voice, I will write it down with a write pen it. and give it I to will, you. I will figure out Braille. <laughs> We'll speak it to everyone. Everyone will know the name Hassan Haskins, especially when he plays for the Patriots next year. It would make a ton of sense. Um, those were all fantastic, man. All right, let's end this one on. Uh, and once again, we're going to come back on all these. These are not the official awards yet, but I want to say just off the top of your head, best moment of the season. And maybe we should keep Ohio State and Big Ten Championship out of this again. 
to, to make it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's make it, uh, let's make everything even. We're talking about the non-Ohio state moments. So I've got for best moment of the season, jump around against Wisconsin, close game at the half. This is our first true away test and Michigan taking their energy, making it ours. Nebraska halftime. They play the, what do they do? Thunderstruck? With the lights at the end of the third quarter, the lights are flashing. It's looks dark. Good. Yeah. Yeah, it looks good. It looks I good. like that. So Thunderstruck, Michigan takes it at the halftime against Nebraska. All right. I've got Hutch at the podium, Big Ten Championship. Not quite in the Big Ten Championship game, but I'll throw that on there. And then I'll throw Eric All scores against Penn State. And then I'm, we're probably missing another moment here. For non-Ohio State moments, of course. Oh, Cade McNamara, what if we went out? That was last season, though. No, 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 no. That was this season after the Michigan State loss. What uh, he said? What happens if we win out? Huh? I thought that was last year. I thought it was after the. I thought it was twenty twenty. Well, that wouldn't make any sense. We only played six games. It was definitely this year. All right. No, it was this year after the Michigan State game, and they were talking to Cade McNamara, and he said, what if we went out, huh? And that was the quote that, hey, it was plastered up all over. No, you, you got to trust me on this one. All right, I, you have it. It's not my choice anyway. But That's true. That wouldn't be my choice regardless. But, yeah, that was this year. So best moment that was not an Ohio State or Big Ten championship moment of the ones mentioned, jump around Nebraska halftime, Hutch at the podium. We can maybe remove Hutch at the podium. It's still a good one. I understand why it's there. Yeah, it's a good one. Eric All against Penn State. Cade McNamara says, what if we went out? All right. No, that was November 22nd, 2020. Are you serious? Yeah, I got it. It, it was just going around again. Oh, well, then remove that. I sincerely apologize. I could have swore he said that this year. What if we went <laughs> no, out last year? That's preposterous. We didn't even have a season. It was, it was, I love the energy. That's the kind of confidence I want to have in myself. But for this superlative, it comes down to two for me. As much as I love Nebraska halftime, doing it at Wisconsin meant more because that team and that tradition has honestly haunted this program, especially in recent memory. That jump around moment was cool. And it it's arguably my favorite, but I have to go with the Eric all catch because that changed everything for this team. It just flipped the momentum, the feeling, the belief gave us the juice we needed to really beat Ohio State. And it said this team is different because all previous Michigan teams would have rolled over and found a way to lose that. This was saying, no, the narrative is changing and we're going to do it ourselves. This was them rising up against all the hate, momentum, anything against them. And they took it back on the road in Happy Valley. And the way it was, and the fact that it was Eric All, the guy who was the revolving door of awfulness last year, like it meant so much. It was a pass, not a run. It was that moment for me. You're right. Everything you said is right. And to keep things interesting, I'm going to switch it up and go with the jump around moment. But everything you said is accurate. That was more important. Um, but had we have lost the Wisconsin game, we don't even get to have that Eric All moment. So I will say that. And I don't think that I'm being too out of pocket in saying that jump around moment was the moment where we started to realize that this culture was different that these coaches were different, that Jim Harbaugh had established a entirely new philosophy there in Schembechler Hall and amongst this Michigan program. So I have no problem saying that moment because, man, you and I were texting each other. We're 
were going back over and watching the YouTube videos a million times over when they're doing that. And it was awesome. And it really showed that this team believes in one another. They like being around one another. The guys that decided to stay are happy that they stayed. And you're feeding off their energy. And we need to do that several times at Wisconsin, at Nebraska, at Michigan State, which, you know, that's for another podcast. And then, you know, at the Big Ten Championship. So there's been times that we've, and at Penn State, for God's sakes, which, uh, yeah, let us not forget, even though, look, Penn State, poverty franchise. I'm sorry, it is, but it is. (laughs) So I I will say jump around, but I love your Eric All point. Yeah, it flipped so much. And as much as I love the Nebraska one as well with Braden McGregor on the air guitar, which was glorious, jump around is exactly right. Like it's, them and I'll even add one more moment in there. How about their first road, the first home environment of the Washington game at night when it's like, oh, this fan base and energy might be a little different this season and kind of foreshadow what would come at Ohio State. Only reason I don't go with that is because you and I have been at some home games early on and some night games. I've been at the Notre Dame games and it felt like that before. Yeah. So early in the season, we've had that belief. But late in the season, man, we'll get into that Ohio State crowd and that crowd at the Big Ten Championship game. Got one more superlative on the way out the door. Throw it to me. Best, or excuse me, let's rephrase this. Favorite player that is not a star. Let's talk about who we're removing from this. That is removing Hassan Haskins. That is removing Aiden Hutchinson. David Ojabo. That is removing Blake Corum, being as how he's about to be a 1,000-yard rusher. And let's go ahead and take Vastardis out of it just because we've talked to him about him a million times. So those are the only ones you can't mention. No so Dax Hill. What's that? No Dax Hill. And no Dax Hill because yeah. he's a five star and yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Those are your those are your exclusions. Who you got? You okay. You can do this... offense and defense if you want. Okay. You know offensively who I'm gonna go to, and that's my boy Mikey Sainer still. I've loved Sainer still for as long as anybody has the spectacular catches, the blocking downfield, a complete team guy. His press conference is about Harbaugh and how much he means to him. Seems to have really embodied a father figure role to him, which I also appreciate. So Mikey Sainer still offensively for me and defensively. There's, there's two I want to touch on and it's Rod Moore and Jalen Harrell. Jalen Harrell has been really under the radar, but has been playing a lot more in these last couple weeks. Had a few starts on this season. He's going to be a dynamic linebacker replacing Ojabo next year. Had Played three snaps, I believe, against Ohio State and still managed one tackle for loss. So really making the most out of what he's given. And Rod Moore, because of the cerebral ability on the offensive end for somebody who's not even 18 and a half yet, is just unreal on the back end. And it's just getting better throughout the season. Went from early on getting toasted on a when he was stuck out as a nickel. And you remember Hutchinson like putting his arm around him saying, Man, it's okay. Like it's fine. You're a freshman, which is also a great moment. And then Rod Moore's becoming the great player that he is now. Nine tackles against Ohio State. He's from Ohio, so you know that game meant a lot to him. And he'll probably be the captain of the secondary next year with his leadership skills. Those are tremendous, tremendous answers. I'm going to switch it up from you, not because I disagree, just to throw some different names out there. On offense, Eric All has been incredible. We're going to touch on him. But I'll go Luke Schoonmaker. 
yes. in what he yes. means to the team and the fact that when he makes a play, the team seems to rally around him, seems to be an absolute beloved guy there on the Michigan offense. And not only that, in the last three games of the season, played some of his best football. So deserves it on the on the football side of things as well as the teammate side. On the defense side, I've got to go DJ Turner. And, you know, it feels a little bit of a cheat because he's going to be a star next year, but he only came on halfway through the season. But I am a huge, huge, I am, you know this, I'm a huge, (laughs) huge proponent of good cornerback play. Huge fan of it. I enjoy watching it when I'm breaking down tape. I love looking at that. And as fun as Hutchinson and Ojabo are on tape, I love watching DJ Turner on tape. And what that means for our secondary and our defense overall next year is huge. Um, so I love also the guys that you mentioned, Rod Moore and Jalen Harrell. And I wanted to throw one more out there, and that is uh, Mike Morris. Uh, obviously, Mozzie Smith and Chris Hinton probably deserve their own podcast. They're the most under-talked about guys on this team. So I do want, like, we'll set that aside. We're going to talk about Mozzie Smith and Chris Hinton, and we're going to give them 30 minutes down the road. Uh, but for now, Mike Morris as well. All these answers are right, and it's just so much fun to talk about guys that are a little less heralded on this team because you don't reach the college football playoff just on the strength of your stars. You need them to be your best players, but it takes a village to get here. It takes everybody doing their one eleventh on each side of the ball. You're absolutely right, man, and this was so fun, and we have so much more. Like, even I'm excited to go back and re-watch some games. You know, that's where we're at in this season. And we've got a ton more content coming at you. We haven't even made our Georgia predictions. That's coming from Maze and Brew. You're going to see that coming from all the guys, from the Blue by 90 guys, from Trevor, from Vaughn. You're going to see their breakdown of the games. We're going to break down that game and make our predictions as we move forward. But nice to be able to kind of take a step back and just look at this season now. Take a breath here as we're Big Ten champions. And hang on a second. Let me do a quick Google search. We are still, yeah, we are still Big Ten champions. It's, your clock is correct, and so is mine, and we also still beat Ohio State this year. Feels, Let me Google that. Check it out. Yes, yes. <sighs> it looks like we beat them by 15. That is correct. Checks notes. These are champagne problems from here. We have the historic 13th win on the line. No Michigan team has ever won 13 games in a season, large part due to expansion, but history nonetheless. We're going to take a break uh, and take be, a, be off for a week before we come back. Your quick thoughts. Can we beat Georgia? Do you see these sunglasses? Can you see I your see reflection? Your, the listeners cannot see your sunglasses. I see your sunglasses. Michigan is the most complete team in the playoff top to bottom. They're not the best team at every position, but they have the highest floor at every position. Of course we can beat Georgia. Of Can course. we ask that clown question out of here? We're going to smoke. Actually, I have thoughts, and we'll get to it eloquently. But the belief is high. I have been against Michigan all season. I'm damn well not about to start now. That's going to do it for us tonight, folks. Guys, we really appreciate all of you that have been sticking with us for the last couple of years, stuck with us this season. Um, absolutely reach out to us. We love giving our listeners and our followers some love, so we would love to talk to you. Um, but you can find us wherever you find your podcasts and you can find all Maze and Brew podcasts wherever you find your podcasts on Spotify, Apple Music. You can follow us on Twitter at Maze and Brew. You can follow Andy and I on Twitter at JStorm303. 
at UMAndrewB. Whatever you need to do, guys, it's been real. We are not done. Our season continues, and we'd like to remind you that wherever you go in a season like this, go. Be <laughs>